Hi, this is Jonas. This is Michael. This is Andrew. And this is John. Thank you for joining us again for Bonsai Wire podcast. Today's topic is going to, we're going to be talking about curating a collection. Oh, and so what do you mean by curating a collection? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know Michael has an idea. We have a few ideas. Um, this, first, first of all, let's define what we mean by that, and then we can get into the weeds with it. Great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, Andrew, you had, uh, you had a few thoughts um, that, that are sort of umbrella ideas. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I'm starting to work with clients, I'm, I'm constantly getting asked, you know, how do I build a collection? Where do I shop for trees? What, what, do I, what am I even shopping for? What, what is a nice, well-rounded collection? Uh, what does that look like? And it could look like a lot of different things yeah. to different people, but um, right. it, it's, it's something that Definitely. I think everyone in their bonsai practice is, is thinking about their, their collection. How do, how do they grow it? How do they improve it? Uh, and how do they, you know, sustain yeah. it? So how do you answer that? Um, does it depend upon the client then? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have some clients who like to stay really, really busy. So, uh, they they can really support large collections, and then I have other clients who kind of think of this more as an, an art collection, and they're they're interested in um, just a few high quality trees um, mm -hmm. that that you know doesn't take too much time away from from their family, but they can really stay on top of everything at a high level. Yeah, you know, purpose is really. Uh, you know what somebody's goals are uh, is a big part of this conversation and, and we should probably say that you know certainly the vast majority of our listeners are going to be doing this work ourselves i mean we started this out by by talking about clients <laughs> and we are professionals and we we work with with some people who hire us but um, um but all of us you know started this way uh, to begin with as we're working on our own trees mm -hmm. um so we should we should talk about that and a lot of it yeah. has to do with with what um uh what kind of lifestyle how much time do we have have to apply um, to our bonsai. Um, how much time, how much technical ability, and how much desire we have to have trees that may or may not be within our technical abilities. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really interesting point. And it go, goes back to what I remember from Japan, where you had certain species that were... Um, were really uh, labor-intensive species like uh, needle juniper plants. Exactly, needle juniper. I was just going to say that one. We don't see that much here, but we think of junipers as being very easy to take care of, and most of them are, especially shimpaku. And uh, that's the easiest. And then we get into those that are kind of busy, and uh, like the uh, rocky. Rocky will keep you twice as busy as a um, as a shimpaku, and then three times as busy is going to be your needle juniper, <laughs> and the, just because the, the the labor that you do on each of those is is actually significantly uh, different um, because of the growth habit of the tree. So um, this is already getting a little bit into the weeds here, <laughs> but when we think about the number of trees that we can keep at a high level of maintenance, we're going to have to agree on that one to begin with. Is that we're talking about keeping trees, uh, keeping our bonsai at, at, at a high level of, of um, maintenance design. Uh, um, and, and, and that's um, in, in itself is a long conversation because there are times of the year when we don't work on our trees and we have to let them do their own thing for a while. And then there are times that we can work on them. So scheduling is, is part of this conversation. If you have a full yard of 
um, uh, you, you know, just speak of needle juniper, which is a very, very busy tree, and you have 50 of those trees, you're going to be a really, really busy person for several months out of the year. Um, whereas if you have uh, something that I think Andrew uh, talked about uh, with, with us briefly was, uh, was about having variety. Mm. Uh, variety can do a number of different things. Andrew, you want to talk about that? So there's several yeah. benefits to variety. <clears throat> I mean, I love variety just because I'm, I, I'm someone who can get easily bored. And so if I have, if my whole collection is, you know, let's just say 50 black pines, then I, I can get kind of tiresome really fast so me just personally I, I need a lot of variety just to keep my kind of interest driving forward and, and that's one of the things I loved about deciduous trees in general is not just the variety that um, you have within the deciduous bonsai umbrella but each plant you know goes through a remarkably different change every single season um, so I, I find that really exciting mm -hmm. but when I when I'm touring gardens be it clients or or public collections or just just any gardens in the country i i really um i can get bored easily if i'm looking at too much of the same thing yeah and, and i really like mm -hmm. looking at diversity uh, yeah yeah, you, trees. yeah the same thing uh you know again and again that's for a um someone who's got a laser focus on something and has has discovered it to, to my view at any rate have discovered that they have a real passion for a particular kind of tree and and that can be discovered through having first a yard of variety um uh, but jonas you had a you had an interesting point all, all of us have, have wanted to make one or two points here um uh but but you were talking about the the power of the single decision i was really curious about that that comment Oh yeah, I, I figured out one way of thinking. Um, like you mentioned, a lot of people want to improve their collections and have better collections and they wonder what's the most important thing they can do. And I've long believed that more important than any other decision, more important than what you buy or who you work with or what time of year you do a certain thing, nothing matters more than what material you bring onto your property. And the reason for that is we all know that we could, oh, look, that's a cute tree. And then you can bring it home. We know we can improve it. We know we can make it healthier. We know we can grow it stronger. We know we can make it better. But is it preventing us from working on some other things? And so if you want a really high quality collection or at least some trees of really great caliber, it requires very, very careful thought as to what you bring on the property in the first place. Yeah, yeah, so selection. So that first, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And that there's, there's itself a, evolves over time, doesn't it? You know, the, yeah. uh, the, the keenness of our eyes. Yeah. There's, there's an orchestra conductor, um, Herbert von Karajan, who, who used to say that orchestra is only as good as the um, least capable player in the group. Your collection is as Analogy. good as your worst tree. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. The worst tree on your bench. That sets the Excellent. bar for your collection. Excellent. I think of that as horribly pessimistic, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but very, very useful. It's also a really fun trick, uh, not trick, a question to ask people who visit. I did this once to Peter Warren and, and a few other people who come, came in and I asked them what their least favorite tree in my garden was. <laughs> nice. And how did that go? What was that like? Uh, it, it was euphoric. He chose one of my least favorite trees. It was great. Yeah. Um, and did, did that make you I want still to get have the tree, which is, which is <laughs> okay. terrible. Right, right. Sorry, Peter. I didn't get rid of that tree. I should and I, and I go to sleep every night thinking, why do I still have this? Um, but, uh, but we do evolve, <laughs> you know, uh, our, as our, our, our eyes evolve, our collection evolves. 
for sure. Uh, but that, that, you know, that that falls into into what Jonas is, is talking about. Well, and that's funny. Um, it reminds me a few years ago, I got rid of, I went through and got rid of 100 of my least favorite trees. Wow. Oh, and you know what things. I noticed the very next day? Did you miss them? I walked out back and my eyes went immediately to my current least favorite tree. <laughs> mm. Oh no, so there's no end. <laughs> it, it was a really interesting lesson. I was ecstatic. No, I felt fantastic. I missed none of those trees because I grow a lot of trees. Oh, so I've got okay. a lot of trees on the okay. property. Okay. And in fact, when I know I'm detaching <laughs> from a tree, I'll often put it in a different part of the garden. Okay. And it just, it makes me happy. It's like, okay, good. I've freed up that bench space or I can do whatever. It's a very optimistic feeling where it's more forward looking. Oh, that's good. That, that's good. It's better, better than, you know, feeling, oh, the negativity hasn't gone away. I'm still looking at my, my least favorite tree, but, but you, no, you saw it in a all. much better way. Bravo. <laughs> good. Yeah, it was good. So, so Jonas, when, you Marie condoed your collection, right? You, <laughs> well, I actually, I think about that a didn't lot. spark joy. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> I think everyone who, uh, who grows bonsai knows that spark joy is not necessarily the right word for every tree every day of the year. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's true. Uh, I have not, yet to, yeah, yeah. I have yet to find like a tea strainer that sparks joy, but I hope to someday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I've, I've struggled with her concept, even though um, having had to uh, kind of rethink everything about my material life and living in this tiny home. Um, uh, her ideas are strong they hold water <laughs> having tested a few of them <laughs> but anyway um yeah and i think they they, they do um that they, they do play a role in in bonsai collections uh the uh, uh going back to the um point about size of collection and what i was talking about earlier all of us are trying to hammer away at a couple of these points i want to refine that point just a little bit uh though we didn't really talk about size of collection uh maybe we should talk about that a little bit first then yeah michael how many trees should i have in my my collection yeah, yeah. well you 14. as a professional yeah 14 <laughs> excellent i think we can all agree that's the yeah thank you we can all agree that's the ideal um, collection it, size yeah the smallest number i've ever heard um was uh from a fellow who used to study with Colin Lewis, who we will be interviewing shortly here. Um, and that number was six. And mm -hmm. I thought that it was interesting. It wasn't five, it wasn't seven, it was six. Um, but all of us seem to come up with a number like that. My, I have a client who, who um, is uh, determined that at one point I told him 23. Uh, <laughs> um, and I can't remember saying that, but I think I was shooting between 20 and 25 and it, which is sort of my number, but it, but it sort of assumes that you have half of those on the way to find out. In other words, young plants, plants that you're using to kind of sort of grow the community in a way, in the sense of adding trees that, that, that will have a good future to use, uh, one of, one of my favorite boon terms of uh, trees that have a good future to, to, to build trees um, in your collection that you will then, you know, you know that will then be, be uh, um, in someone else's collection. Uh, so how uh, I mean, someday. cause you, let's, let's talk young trees for a second. I mean, yeah, a, a young tree takes remarkably less time. Right. To exactly. work on in an old tree. Exactly. I mean, Jonas can attest to this That's with the, the thousands point. of calendar calendars in his backyard full of pines. Right. 
Right. Uh, but How once they start it? getting older, it's a different story, right? It is. The, the, the more mature the tree, the more time they will, uh, they will suck out of your schedule. Yep. So those are the ones you have to limit. So when Colin Lewis is talking about six trees, he's talking about six mature bonsai. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about collager trees. Really, really important point. And this segues a little bit into my refined point that I wanted to make um, regarding uh, commitment for species. So we were talking initially about uh, needle juniper and how busy a tree that is. You have to handle that tree several times a year to do it well. Um, if, for instance, um, we talk uh, about that with um, yearly work is what we're talking about. We're not talking about daily work. So if you have six trees, it's not much more time to spend on daily care for 25. You still have to water them. Uh, so you're still taking time out of your day. So what, what we're really talking about is um, if you have more than one bonsai, <laughs> Um, that uh, we're really talking about yearly time commitment per tree per, and, and then you refine that according to how much time each species requires. And, and that can really adjust. So you might easily be able to take care of six black pine, whereas you might not want to take care of 25 black pine. And that's where young trees or some deciduous trees, for instance, don't require near as much uh, of of time and away from uh, taking away from your vacations and all sorts of things. I think, <laughs> I think deciduous can make up for it though. I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you're watering right. them more, you're, you're repotting them more often. They're, That's they're, another part. That's true. They, they can be that's busy true. plants, even though you're not wiring out every single branch. That, that's true. Especially repotting. Yeah. 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 It, um, it, it, sometimes it can take, not only are you repotting at a different, schedule which is sooner you know every two to three years usually um but uh but often you spend a lot more time in the repotting than you would with a re- mm. with a conifer sometimes even half the time uh with a conifer yeah when yeah. we started uh, bay island bonsai um, we talked a lot about collection size and for many years the mantra of the club was if you want higher quality trees you need a smaller collection and it was at that time when a lot of members would pick numbers and it would be uh, before they could bring another tree home, they'd have to get rid of a tree before they could do it. And that was their own right. personal mm-hmm. goal. But right. that was right. not lost on any of us is that the enemy of quality was always the many. And so many things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when my, my dad and I were building our collection and uh, this was when I was starting to transition from being in a, uh, a bonsai hobbyist to a bonsai apprentice and future bonsai professional. Our, our rule was for every one good tree we buy, we have to sell five <laughs> other trees. That's a downsizing plan. Yeah, that's a yeah. good downsizing plan. Hmm. And those, are all, those assumptions all assume that we are trying to, that we're maxed out on our time and that we're just trying to figure out where to find the balance among the different mm. levels mm-hmm. of effort that goes into each individual tree. Right. Do you think, let me ask this question to everyone. Do you think beginners need a lot of trees to kind of get their feet wet? That's a I great mean, can question. you come in with 10 trees as a beginner and, and really get a good grasp, do you think? 
Life That's a questions. great question. I have a str- I have strong opinions about that. Um, I do too. I, I know. <laughs> okay, great. I want to hear Pull out yours. The well, let's um, start with John then. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> start critiquing me or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, specifically your ten trees. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, yeah, John's, what, what John's is, the newest bonsai. What What was that right. like to you exactly. building a, a collection? I mean, did you find that stressful? It's uh, like get, yeah. acquiring trees and. I mean, I think we're going to get into to the actual logistics of, requ- of acquiring trees, but I, I think it's, yeah, it's pretty tough to find material. It's pretty tough to, I mean, I have a tendency to create and start rather than maintain in everything that I do. I love starting businesses. I love starting ideas. I love, but I'm not so good at maintaining. So I think maybe more than other people, I'm always fighting the tendency to have just another tree in the yard, just another, mm-hmm. oh, that one looks nice. That one looks nice. So I'm always having to fight the tendency to, to grab another, you know, tree or grab another whatever. So, so yeah, in particular, I think it's pretty tough to, for me to, to like step away from something that doesn't add anything to the collection. You know, I don't have a whole lot of refined trees, so it's kind of nice because I can have more trees right now. But I think as I move into more refined collection, then I'm going to have to make some hard choices about getting rid of some mediocre uh, you know, younger trees, but I also love spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's some way that we like, can you answer this solution with technology? Can you answer the question with technology? Is there a way that, you know, that we can take species into account? We can take age into account. Mm, the bonsai formula. We need a, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a way. That's to do a it. great idea. You know, it's artistic in some ways where it, it has everything to do with the personal personality of the, of the person that's running the show. But, but I think there probably would be a way to, to yeah. mathematically calculate and spit out a number saying, you know, you said you were willing to spend six hours a week and you've got this many right. weeks a year. And these are the trees. This is the kind of trees you want. And it says, hey, this is what you can have. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to be said for that, though. I definitely take a far more faith-based approach. The faith being that I'll have most of the trees alive at the end of year that I started with. Right, right. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What do you think, Jonas? Should, should newcomers to bonsai, should they have lots of trees? So there's a couple ideas that come to mind when I think of that. And I'll start with the most heartening, which is, I have a friend who decided to, well, actually didn't decide, probably didn't even know it was an alternative, to skip the whole stick in pot phase. And Mm. anyone who's (laughs) been to a club meeting pretty much anywhere in the world that I know of, a lot of people start out collecting a large number of trees with very little unique character. And they keep them alive. And honestly, a lot of people, that's all they ever want to do. And that's perfectly fine. Mm. Until just a few years ago, I found a collection where there were three or four and then five trees, every one of which could have made it into your average club show. And I thought, oh, it's completely possible to start with decent material and skip the stick and pot phase. And so that's that's one thing that comes in mind is your entry level can be at many different places. And honestly, that to me is one of the most yeah. exciting things I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also have uh, uh, some opinions about this. And I've noticed that uh, that many people who begin bonsai having killed one or two, you know, their first gifts or whatever, that they, that they have a, um, 
kind of a hesitancy because they don't want to kill another tree, you know? And so they end up with two and a half bonsai for a few years. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think having, as Andrew said, you know, 10 trees is much better because you're going to learn faster. Um, and, uh, and, and more importantly, you're probably going to give uh, trees in a, in a somewhat more sizable collection, like a dozen or, or 20 or something like that. You're going to give them a bit of a break. And this is one of the, you know, seasonally, one of the things that people with exceedingly small collections, you know, in the single digits, um, sometimes uh, that's a great thing, you know, like Colin uh, is suggesting for, you know, your mature tree collection, if that's all they have, the people who, who skip the, and, and remain in the, in the non stick in the pot phase um, that those, um, those uh, trees will, will, will not be worried to death, um, which um, many uh, particularly um, once you start building skills, you want to apply those skills. And, and then the, the, the trees are constantly nibbled and they can't, can't get a footing, you know, without shoot growth, you don't get root growth. So <laughs> we have to let them alone now and then. And, and, and it's really hard to do that unless That's you have so enough hard. trees to keep yourself busy. <laughs> yeah. And to let the plant do something. Um, and nothing's uh, easier to solve than by getting more trees. Yeah. It, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And then you end up in a big mess if, if uh, well, you can't control that, that exercise. <laughs> but when you're starting out, it's not a mess. And that's what's great is that's when you can go to the local right. garden center, get right. something to practice wiring, get something you're not going to mess up, get right. something you're not afraid to take chances on. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. I've done a presentation a number of times where I talk about more or less, I'd never thought of it in that phrase, but how to build a collection. In other words, what trees to buy, what material to look for. And one yeah. way I've thought of yeah. it is all trees have problems. And the question for ourselves is what problems do we enjoy solving? What problems are we good at solving? What problems do we want to learn more about? Oh, if I you like hand that. me a two-year-old cutting, I am not super interested in solving the problem of learning how to spend the next 20 years making that cutting amazing but maybe I want to learn more heavy bending or maybe I want to learn more separating life veins or just doing fun stuff. Well, you need to buy trees that are going to give you the opportunity to practice and work on those things. Right. And, and, and even it, in the early years, it might not even be aesthetic. Uh, I mean, this is for, for the, the stick and pot uh, um, group uh, who, who are simply exploring how do I take care of this species? How do I yep. take care of that species? Which is a great way to begin. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that because that sets up then the adventure in aesthetics. Um, and that brings to mind another point, which is one of the most valuable lessons I've learned is to grow trees in batches. Mm. And this oh, applies yeah. very much mm -hmm. when you're growing trees from scratch, whether cedar cutting, but it actually is really helpful for more mature trees too because if you have one tree you're going to make a lot of assumptions about how that species works based on that one right. individual specimen when right. you have several maples or several hornbeam you're going to start learning oh some can be fast some can be slow some open at this time some open at that time and it right. gives you a more stable center for what that species needs, wants, responds to. And your learning can get so fast when you have multiple examples of a given species, you know, whether an older or younger tree. That's such an important point because, uh, because it lends a, 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 a deep 
uh, gravity of knowledge, uh, uh, which is a key point in, in bonsai, which is that it, this is about the individual plant. Um, and, and, and not only in aesthetics, but, but, um, but that they're going to respond to things differently and not because simply because they're all a, a one genetic. Yeah. Yeah. And I find so it's what just kind just, of, oh. uh, like what kind of ongoing record keeping do you find when you're developing trees that, that is the most helpful to, to learn these things just because I think there's probably some sort of record keeping that would keep you on track with learning but then at the same time, you could spend a lot of time record keeping. So what, what do you find helpful? I'm curious what you all say about this. Do you do any of this, Andrew? I, I do pho photographic record keeping. I don't really take any notes. So I'll, I'll, every time I work on my trees, if, unless it's a very young tree, I, I photograph it before or after. And, and that just kind of marks it in its, in its, its uh, space of time. Um, but that I don't take any notes. I'm, I'm curious what other people do. Yeah, Michael, I used what about to. you? Yeah, I used to when I had, um, boy, about 50 trees or, or less. In fact, I still have the little little uh, brass uh, tags that I, I stamped. And, and did, Michael, did you find value I in that? I, uh, well, you know, it was more of a record of when and where I got the tree. And I wasn't really... Um, taking it as far as I should have, which is what did I do with it this year? What did I do with you it? You weren't saying month? I fertilized on March 1st. Exactly. Or... Yeah. And I, I did very little of that. Yeah. I either take more notes than anyone or fewer notes than anyone. <laughs> and I'm not sure which. I've actually, I've almost never taken a single note about anything I've ever done to a tree, which is somewhat disingenuous considering that I've probably taken more photos and written more blog posts about my trees than anything. And so my notes are the website where I just keep track of what I'm doing. How often would you say you referred back to your own website to check out the growth of your trees over time? <laughs> you know, the main time I do it is when I'm writing a post on a tree. I use Google as an index for my own site and I will just... Somehow I remember every article I've written, but I have no idea how to find them. And so I'll just find an article and then that way I can find out if what the next step in the story is, or if I want to use some old photos to show a process over time. Yeah, the, the blog posts are wonderful repositories. Um, of yeah, I use yours. Actually, so Michael's that. more and more, I use yours the same way. It's like, Oh, I'm writing about wisteria. Did Michael cover that point on that? Oh, he did. Okay, then I'll just link to that or whatever happens. <laughs> do, the, do the same thing for your, your blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, it's true. I never actually keep notes and kind of like what Andrew does. Whenever I'm doing work that I think I might want to remember or use in a future post, I'll take pictures ahead of time. And that actually adds a lot of time to the process, but it's fun to have the photos to work with. It does, yeah. It helps to have that photo apparatus easily accessible otherwise you might not do it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i yeah. i mean part of me wishes yeah. i had every mm -hmm. photo of every little young tree i've grown from scratch right. but that would be a complete right. nightmare to manage <laughs> right. right right do you tag or, or label anything jonas do you have any numbers or anything on any of your i've come up with many systems and plans to do that and have yet to follow mm -hmm. through on any of them <laughs> at the most basic just for curiosity's sake i would love to know what year i start a lot of trees because that's the most common question right. how old is that and my oldest right. trees i know 
to the year precisely. I started my first batch of trees in 94. I started another batch mm. in 2004. So mm. I know exactly how old those are, but no, I've yet to start doing any kind of tags. And so I, I, I want to do that. I still say that. We'll see if I get to it. Yeah. And then, and then where to attach the tag is something that, that we keep puzzling over in, oh, it's in my garden. The branch you're about to cut off. That, that's yeah, I know. That, that tends to be where, <laughs> where, it, where it ends up, right? Yeah, I solved that. Yeah. Yeah, and on the trunk, you know, you could, um, if, you know, if your loop isn't flexible or big enough, you can end up with some scarring. That that we've had that problem. We've tried the, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the plastic uh, label thing in 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 the soil, and inevitably in the sun, they break down and then they snap, and then you lose it, and then, <laughs> and then, then you yeah, have all these sort of orphans running around that have. I think, no I think some of the pots in the back of our yard have five little bits of plastic. I think so. Yeah, you're to stuck in there. Together, you have to recreate you know? it. You know? <laughs> archaeological dig every time you want to figure out where the pot came from. <laughs> you know, it's funny is years ago, actually, I'm not sure if this was a conscious decision or an after the fact justification, but I thought to myself, I love having the records and I love it when someone can provide me all the background to their tree. But I thought, well, if I'm going to be buying trees from people, I'm not necessarily going to know anything about this tree's backstory. And I want to learn to tell what that tree needs at any given time based on how it looks right now. And so yeah, sure. whether or not it was repotted yeah. in 2000 and X, I want to know how can I look at that tree and make a plan in a complete vacuum? Is a tree getting healthier or is it slowing down? Does it need mm. repotting? Does it need this or that? And so right. very, very early on, I mean, 20 plus years, I've been looking at trees with that in mind where I'm trying to learn how to analyze or evaluate the next steps. Uh, we had a, um, a bonsai artist here in Portland, Oregon, um, who passed away uh, a few years ago, and she made um, what everybody uh, called her her uh, adoption papers. Uh, but she did these over many years before. I think she was thinking of handing these off. But it, I think it, they were mostly for her own use. But every year she would take a photograph, sometimes a couple photographs a year. Little, some of them were Polaroids going back into the '80s, you know. <laughs> um, and she started things from cuttings and little seedlings, and they were absolutely magnificent uh, trees. And mostly in the chuhin size. Um, Twenty twenty-five years later, um, I have a couple here in the yard. Um, yeah, you're talking about Ann Spencer, right, Michael? Ann Spencer, that's yeah. right. And she not only took the photographic record, but every time she did something on the tree, she wrote a little note. And it was this oh. incredible little thing, you know, <laughs> to, you, you receive this little packet along with the tree. <laughs> so uh, I hope somebody is inspired by Ann Spencer's <laughs> <Yeah>. example, <laughs> or many people would be inspired. Uh, often when I sell a tree, I will email someone Wonderful. many unpublished photos of the tree over the past. Mm. It's kind of fun. Oh, so highly much? organized. That's marvelous. Love yeah. it. That's great. So this would be a good segue to talk about provenance and, and tree value. Does do you mm. think having a good story attached to a tree does that does that add value to that tree in the collection? That's interesting. It's almost like the real estate question, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, certain houses have a have. A, yeah, if if Frank Sinatra lived history. in this house, exactly. This house more expensive. <laughs> good question. Yeah, it seems like or a, if good a crime view was committed there. It's worth less. Yeah. No, it, yeah. <laughs> or maybe more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the curve. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. I think all things being equal, obviously it's the same tree, but if there's a connection between the buyer and the previous owner, then it would definitely be worth a lot more. 
I was kind of curious to circle back to what Andrew had brought up when talking about collection development with customers. And I'm just curious what some of those conversations sound like when you talk about where to go from wherever they happen to be right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're really tough conversations. And I remember, you know, for me to, to change over my collection from a, a kind of beginner intermediate collection to what is now becoming a professional collection, it, it's, it's, it's a tough process because we very easily form emotional attachment, I think, to these, these plants, uh, whether they're good plants on our bench or bad ones. And, and so I think it's, it's something that it, it's, is when I'm talking with my clients, it, it, it happens much better when we do it slowly. So we bring up the conversation and we, 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 um, we just move, move slowly. So it's that process, maybe you buy one uh, new tree, you get rid of two in its place. And then over time, organically, you can really you know, change a collection that way. Um, but I, I found a lot of, all of my clients actually, they, they, they're really striving to have the best collections that they can you know, grasp financially and, and just with the opportunities mm-hmm. that they have. So there's, I think there's a common desire for, for just having a really nice, pleasing collection. Do you have any strategies to recommend to help them get the most out of their budget? Yeah, it's, it's don't, don't buy something for the sake of buying something. And this was something that was really hard for me growing up um, in a house of collectors. Um, you know, just because you're going to the antique store doesn't mean you need to buy something. And so if you're going shopping for a bonsai nurse at, at a bonsai nursery mm-hmm. or, or you're in the mountains collecting uh, or, or wherever this may be, you're looking for bonsai material. Um, don't get something just to get something. Try and, you know, do Marie Kondo it. See if see if what you're getting sparks joy. See if it's it's something that that you think you'd have value in, uh, yeah. something that you could savor over time. Yeah, and I, and I would add um, that uh, uh, many of us. I used to have this uh, this sort of instinct to be really interested in a, a particular style of tree. And I'm like, okay, semi cascade. I was really into semi cascades that month or whatever. And so whenever I go to the uh, the nursery, I'd be looking for semi cascades. <laughs> yeah, and that's all you <laughs> look at, right? And, and exactly, you you have like this. Uh, there's a biological term. It's called a search image. So that when I'm you know a robin or whatever is. Yeah. is jumping around uh, in, in the grass and, uh, and there happens to be a lot of, uh, maybe it's usually going after worms, but there happens to be a big grasshopper uh, mm. hatch or whatever. Suddenly the nutritious grasshopper becomes the thing that it, it locks onto as a search image and it ignores the, the worms. Well, the, the problem in the, in the bonsai um, uh, purchasing uh, <laughs> instinct uh, be, becomes that we begin to ignore um, what is truly valuable because we have this idea of what we're actually after. So, I, I, so you're in the bonsai nursery, you're looking at I, this terrible cascade, but there's a beautiful formal upright you standing got right it. next to it. Exactly. And you're just so blinded by the cascade in your mind that you're, you don't even see the formal upright. That's 100%. why I like going shopping with Michael. Yep. I get all the good trees. Right. <laughs> Michael's good to shop with. He's a, he's a oh, tough man. shopper. Man, man, I, I feel so used. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, th- this brings up a good point. There's, there's a lot of people who want maybe one of every species or one of every style. Um, do you think that's a bad thing? I mean, if someone is... Mm-hmm. wants one of every wants a cascade wants a formal upright wants a black pine a white pine a red pine is, is that a bad approach do you think 
no, I, you know, this is this, this is almost the, uh, the, the summation of our conversation, I think, actually, is because there's so many paths. I mean, people are going to have, you know, be attracted to azaleas and they're going to, they're going to hate pines or vice versa. And they're going to, and the same thing with styles. And some people are going to want, yeah, one of everything. But I can't see anything wrong with any of those directions. I'd um, say it only becomes negative when it prevents them from reaching their own goals. Yeah, or 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 I would say in the early years, at least exploring, um, you, you know, to to put your own instincts, especially in the beginning. We don't know an awful lot, like the four of us. We don't know a lot about podcasting right now. <laughs> this is, you know, our second one, right? Um, so, um, but but just to you know to embrace um, sort of uh, beginner mind uh, and 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 be open and explore um but but then uh, but then do what you like i find that just recently i've been starting to limit the number of species in the garden because the different the care is so different from species to species to species in some case that i am recognizing my own limitations and one of everything doesn't totally fly based on the resources i currently have to allocate mm. to the collection Right, and it's mm-hmm. not just—it's not just uh, horticultural differences, right? It's aesthetics. You know, oak trees grow very different than maples, and how you manifest that in the branching might yeah. be a totally different repertoire of aesthetics. And the aesthetics, I find a lot easier to manage. It, I mm-hmm. find it—that's more when you're sitting down in front of the tree working on it. And so, I really am talking about the care when you have really diverse watering needs. For mm-hmm. instance, it. it you start to notice it. At least I start to notice it. Fertilizing (laughs) needs. And as you all know, we'll do another episode on water and fertilizer. But when you're using an injection system to try to figure out the most efficient or effective way to fertilize and water the collection can get really tricky when you have really diverse needs. Yeah, I mean, that's where having you know, hundred percent black pines in your, your gardening is, is, is really Plus. easy to you know, fertilize. It's really easy to water because you're, unless kind of you decandle pine. some and don't decandle others. Uh. And then it's the most complicated <laughs> thing you could hope to do. Bonsai is hard. Bonsai Just is like hard. a young deciduous tree or a mature deciduous tree. I'm not fertilizing yeah. in the same. And so I almost need an irrigation system for each category it's really hard i move my <laughs> trees all the time system with the brain jonas that's called an apprentice <laughs> yep i've, I've heard that system for every tree so maybe this is our first open call for an apprentice please apply here <laughs> right, all right exactly. there you go one thing i want well, to I think say this is a good time uh, we need to take a little break and hear from one of our sponsors and when we come back we're going to talk about the the use of the dunce bench okay we'll be back in a minute Do you ever return home from a long trip to the store to find your bonsai wilted beyond repair? Do your trees not look as green as they should? Have your accent plants never looked as nice as the ones you see on Instagram? Maybe it's time to try dihydrogen monoxide. Dihydrogen monoxide is proven to increase the uptake of nutrients, help reduce stress, keep your plants hydrated longer, and much more. You might not know that professionals around the world use dihydrogen monoxide multiple times a day to keep their trees looking best. It is a largely an unknown secret that we at Bonsai Wire are bringing into the light. We're excited to announce an exclusive partnership with the makers of Dihydrogen Monoxide. Every bottle sold off of our website comes with a money-back guarantee. If your trees do not look better, stronger, and happier within hours of using our product, we'll send your money back, no questions asked. 
Don't delay. Go to bonsaiwire.com slash products and enter the code WIRE to receive a free bottle for a friend with every purchase while supplies last. Again, that's bonsaiwire.com slash products. Enter the code WIRE. Thank you for your support. All right. Well, we're back here. Um, so I'd like to go back to the dunce bench. What is we, a dunce bench? I think we talked about this in the beginning. <laughs> well, so, so this is like the stool where you put the tree that you don't like. This is a kiddie table. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, and you give it the side eye every time you walk past it, <laughs> you know, you scold it and then eventually you either improve it or you get rid of it. Like, like it, should every yard have this, it. have this bench in there in the back, Ooh. way back somewhere in the way back. <laughs> Or maybe they should put it right in the front. So that's the thing you see all the time. So it encourages you to either improve or get rid of. Have you tried this approach? Uh, No, but maybe I should. But, you know, we have these three or four little posts right here outside the deck. (laughs) No, 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 John. No, those are for display. Let me, we should clarify what those posts are for. (laughs) Oh, gosh. probably make some little card stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, John and I were talking about a related concept, culling, uh, just a couple of days ago. So we have uh, um, uh, groups of, uh, of plants that we grow on here. Jonas was talking about this earlier, um, growing in, in clumps and groups, you know, same age, same species, uh, working through some chochabai, the, the dwarf quince that we have here, and maples and things of that nature. And, and, and much like, um, you know, people who grow koi or something uh, along those lines, you, you have, you know, that, that you work with in large numbers, then, then inevitably you have some that kind of fall short of whatever your standards are. As a potter, I had that problem as well. And, and the whole issue of, are you, are you going to even give up, uh, you know, your seconds or do you have seconds or are you going to smash them all? <laughs> Wait, so you're telling um, me there's broken Hegedorn so, pots out there somewhere <laughs> buried in they're buried. Arizona? Or... Yeah, well... <laughs> Oh, uh, no, some people did walk away with seconds, but I, I often felt a little strange about that. But anyway, um, John and I were talking about, you know, these quints that, you know, some of them just don't quite make it. And so one of the, one of the ways we got around that is, is simply cut it back to, to anything at all that might have quality and then just completely regrow the tree um, from there. Um, and others, you know, had, had, had a little bit more luck or a little more attentiveness when we were working on them when they were young and, and they had the... Uh, would seem to be a, a better trajectory, um, and they they wouldn't end up on the on the dunce pile. Jonas, so like, do I'd you like cull trees much? It's a good idea. Yeah, culling trees is huge. You pretty much can't. Do you? You can't yeah. maintain quality without a lot of culling. What's your percentage? If if you could, uh, you know, I mean, it's totally different. And it for me, it's a different case in that most of the culls I've done in the past have been a result of what I have space for in the garden or what I have time for. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of different criteria for how I cull. I've done sizes oh. and styles. I've done how long it's going to take me to get the tree where I want it to be. And I've just blamed, done brute genetics. I'll line trees up, stand 15 feet away, and look and see which ones have the characteristics I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And when you're in a, in a month where the only thing you're excited about is semi-cascades. Do you throw out everything? <laughs> <laughs> All the uprights are out. You put them on the dunce bench, and then two months later when you like them again, you, you pull them back off. Yeah, when I have too many hundred trees below the benches, that's when I know I'm in big trouble. Mm. Right. But and yeah, what typically huge. happens to those uh, 
those cold trees? Do they make the burn pile or so do they go I, find a happy uh, home? Most find a happy home. And so I actually have friends who are growers who will take the ones that'll, they'll perfectly find trees, but it'll take longer. And I'm like, great, take longer with them. And so that's where those trees end up. It's very rare that I go to the burn pile. It often is very satisfying when it does happen, but <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually do that very seldom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's another, there's a little, uh, little thing that that we do in this garden, uh, which is that if we're really unhappy with a tree, if it has some major problems, uh, one thing that we tend to consider is simply to grow into the next size larger tree, which uh, maybe Jonas, this is what you're talking about when you're giving it to, you know, somebody who's going to put it in the ground or something, it's going to get bigger and, and many trees get beyond the problems that they might have. Uh, you mentioned that in the book, right? Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, I've been quoting that all the time. It's a really useful and helpful when you're growing trees from scratch because one of the most common problems is when you just have these awkward bends which get a lot less awkward when you make the tree bigger mm -hmm. yeah or you end up with just fewer branches than you really wanted a particular size but then the next size larger those branches yeah. might be you know well spaced yeah that's right no it's a fantastic trick i rely on that a lot the other thing I wanted to say is uh, thinking about, you know, Andrew talking to your clients and about how to buy based on budget is I know when I started, I had a very limited budget in bonsai for many years. Mm -hmm. And so my approach was always spend all of the money on trunks and then do all the rest of the work myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's especially good for conifers. It's, I think that's harder for deciduous. It's just as easy. You just have to good luck finding them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's Andrew's point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very hard. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, with the with a conifer, you can find it. I, I have a really easy time finding a conifer trunk. But with deciduous plants, finding a deciduous trunk without scars or, or something that has beautiful tape or beautiful lines, I, I just find that to be much, much harder. Even if you have something that has really awkward branching, how to prune that back and still make, make it look natural, it's... It's challenging, I think. It's extremely challenging. So, so, I, just, I always, so just grow them all up to a bigger size. Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, <laughs> I, I tell my clients, just buy younger deciduous material. Yes, I, I, that's right. You're, you're not going to be able to find, you know, the perfectly refined tree. And if you do, it's not going to be what you plan for. So if right. you're looking for a nice refined right. trident maple, you're probably going to find a nice refined beach. It's and almost so the plan. opposite of a conifer. You know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, know, you go for the really old one. You know, it, yeah. that you know, was if, always if you walk uh, around. Yeah. Sorry. Um, if, if you, if you just walk around our cities, you know, one thing that I find fascinating is, is, uh, is the look of the aesthetics of the trees that are planted. Deciduous trees achieve a maturity within, you know, the range of, uh, you know, 50 years often mm. uh, or a hundred and, and neighborhoods generally don't change much in that time. Whereas conifers, you know, they don't really reach their true interesting maturity until a few hundred years has passed. Yeah. And so we tend to find conifer teenagers uh, whereas uh, in, in urban settings, uh, suburban settings, whereas we, we find really interesting, beautiful deciduous trees. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and Mike, Michael, something you told me early on in the apprenticeship, which, which really stuck home, is that young trees have almost infinite potential for quality. So the older a tree gets, the yeah. more its kind of quality sets in. But if you're working with a seedling, this, this could be, you know, a prize-winning tree in the U.S. National Show or the Kokafu or something like that because it has all this potential kind of built into this little tiny nugget. 
Mm. Um, and so I find that really rewarding, uh, especially when I, I'm working with my clients, they're having trouble finding deciduous trees. I say, find something, you know, five, 10 years younger than what you want and grow it into that. Yeah, I send people to your blog all the time when it comes to that. And that really follows from one of Boone's key insights, which is don't buy bad trees. Um, it's faster yeah. to build to build a tree from scratch than it is to solve the flaws on existing trees. Yeah. And it seems oh, like nationwide, yeah. demand is so high for material that we're just awash in horribly flawed, awful material. Mm -hmm. And I just think, yeah, you're right. It's 15 years to fix the flaw and 10 years to grow a new one from scratch. And the one from scratch will be better than the flawed 15 year old. Right. Yep. Yep. I'm sure John's ears are wide open, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, you're, you have to take that with a grain of salt since I've been growing trees for almost 30 years now. So I do like that approach, but I think there's something to be said for building trees as opposed to just digging them up somewhere. Uh, you know, I think there's room for all Absolutely. of them. But, uh, yeah. I like it when I can see a collection that shows the effects of nature on trees and the effects of long-term relationships between people and trees. Yeah, that, that goes well back phrased. to my point from the beginning. Just, you know, variety can be such a beautiful thing. Having some, you know, if you have mostly large trees in your collection, getting a few shohin or kifu-sized trees. If you have mostly yamadori, getting a few pot-grown trees. Just to really have a nice counterpoint so that you have... You know, it doesn't have to be perfectly balanced 50-50, but just have enough to where you keep things kind of exciting and fresh. Right. Yeah. And also don't ignore uh, your accent plants, uh, your grasses. Right, um, right. Because that, that's a really interesting counterpoint that can, in, in many cases, can actually get a spouse involved who isn't really interested in, uh, in twisted up trees, but, uh, but might be really interested in flowering. Uh, yeah, um, and su suisaki for... For, for what that's worth right too. that's another one so is another one to to, to to bring in a different uh, a counterpoint yeah and uh, maybe even a family member and so much more seasonality as well yeah. yes yes okay well it sounds like uh, we're finishing up here thank you so much for listening to this episode of bonsai wire you can find more information about us at bonsaiwirepodcast.com thank you so much this was fun, everybody. Thank you. Bye. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.